Welcome to Kapwa Conversations, a podcast that amplifies the voices of Filipino, Philippine ex folks in the health and wellness space. We use the indigenous wisdom of Kapwa, or shared inner self, to connect, inspire, and remember that we are all connected. If you enjoy this episode, please give us a five-star rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show and be in Kapwa together. You can also help spread the word by sharing today's episode on social media and tagging us on Instagram at kapwa.yoga. Without any further ado, here's today's conversation. On today's episode, we have Paolo Espinola. Paolo Espinola is a wandering diner in search of a good meal and an ever-elusive identity. He started this blog during his soul-crushing stint as an accountant and later co-founded Hidden Apron, his side project that dabbles in everything from catering, hosting pop-up diners, podcasting, and everywhere in between. He is also a contributing author to the best-selling cookbook, The New Filipino Kitchen. He believes that food is a universal language that can solve the world's most challenging problems, help people believe in their own potential, create communities with shared stories, and realize that in breaking bread, we break boundaries. Welcome to the show, Paolo. Thank you. You're uh, officially my first show that I'm the one who is not interviewing someone. Yeah, the tables have turned. <laughs> the tables have turned. So thanks for having me. Yeah. How are you feeling today? How's I, uh, I just I just had a massage, so I feel like jelly. Jelly's Ooh. probably the right word. That yeah. feels nice. I mean, how was that? I wonder how that feels in this time that we're oh, yeah. quarantined. Did you, did you feel a certain way going into that? I think like, so I've been going um, to this massage therapist that I found here in Astoria where I live probably a month now. So I think initially when I went, obviously it was like, you know, very apprehensive. I feel like, you know, there's this uh, certain level of paranoia that begins every business relationship these days where <laughs> I have to ask like, what's your safety protocol? How, you know, all this, all this. So like, you know, we emailed back and forth. Um, and once I was like, felt comfortable enough that, you know, everything gets washed and I'm the only person in there mm. during my session, there's no one else and she's masked. Like after a while, you know, like on my third visit, it's kind of become, kind of feels a little normal, except, you know, obviously you have your mask on while you're getting massaged. So that feels a little strange. Yeah. Yeah. I have a go-to guy, shout out Charlie, Grand Nature in Chinatown. <laughs> and I haven't I haven't been to Chinatown since the mm -hmm. pandemic started. And I yeah, I really want to go back to him because I've been going to him for years and yeah. he's an acupressure specialist and he knows my body really well, especially with dance like wear and tear. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I really like miss... I had a person who like was like that. Like yeah. she uh did like Chinese tuina. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's one of those like places where there's only curtains separating like six tables right which like didn't matter before because I, I as long as she could feel like she beat me up like I, i'm okay with it but um 
you know, the pandemic kind of changed things where I was like, no, nah, I need, I need someone, even if it costs a little more, like I'd rather feel safe about it. And unfortunately the one I used to go to, they've relocated to Flushing. So there's no way I was ever going to, you know, make it out there, but I hear you, man. Yeah. yeah I mean, the power of touch just feels like, because oh, it's sure. so lacking these yeah. days. I remember yeah. the first time that I got haircut, I went to my barber yeah, maybe three months after the pandemic, because I had, I spent some time with family in Jersey, yeah. and when I came back, it was like a very emotional experience. Yeah, of like yeah, yeah. Feeling someone like cutting my hair and like looking more like I used to before everything happened. Feeling the wind <laughs> on your scalp afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean, man. Uh, how has it been for you with the state of? the restaurant, food industry during this mm-hmm. time, like how has that impacted you? I know the first time that we met was through a pop-up dinner that Yeah, you hosted. Yeah, so I think like my take on this is a little bit different because I um, I think I'm more of a diner than uh, than someone who's directly in the food industry just because like like you and I, right? We have like full-time jobs. It's not my, it's not my main thing, but one of the obvious impacts is like, I'm not doing any catering. I'm not doing any pop-ups. Um, we had all these plans to do maybe like a one month residency at one of the, the Filipino um, restaurants in the Lower East Side. Uh, Cause I quit my job in February. So, oh, so I was wow. like, all right, cool. Like I can finally do this thing and maybe freelance and maybe do some startup consulting or writing on the side to like supplement the bills. But like that ain't happening. So I think like that was the biggest piece that like got ripped off, off the, uh, you could say off the, the menu of things I wanted to do. Um, but I think like a lot of other people, I ended up doing the full IG thing. Like I did a bunch of IG cooking classes. They were mostly donation based. Like they weren't going to pay for anything, but at least it kept you sane. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a bit, I was helping out. My friend owns a ramen shop here, like about a block away. So I told him like, dude, don't even pay me. Just like, teach me how to do this. And that's it. Like, I'm just looking to not drive myself insane and at least pick up a new skill. So like, yeah, it taught me how to clean fish and prepare it for sushi. I was like, all right, I'll take it. So I don't know. I, I feel like I've been blessed. I haven't been as affected by this food wise than, than I think people who really do rely on this as like their primary source of income. Yeah. Yeah. I know we felt it for the dance industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having the studios closed. And I also feel the same where, you know, I, yeah, we have, it'll be interesting to go into what it's like to have a full time job and then also have these personal projects that, Mm -hmm. you know, we're planting seeds that hopefully will lead to that being our main source of purpose in life. Mm. But yeah, I feel like the same kind of mixed blessing of because we don't own the studio and we're renting it. I see a lot of studios, especially ones that I looked up to on the West Coast that are mm-hmm. permanently closing down because of, you know, they can't sustain their their physical locations anymore. Yeah. Right, of- right, right. Exactly. So how has it been with you? I guess let's start with your relationship to... Philippine, Philippine X identity mm-hmm. and your journey with, with food and, and how that's kind of started and evolved. Over yeah. Time. I, uh, it, it's funny because like when people ask, 
like what are you <laughs> you know that question like what are you <laughs> question where are you from uh, part of me hates it not because like i feel offended or anything part of me hates it because it, my background is so convoluted that it's just going to take so much time for me to explain so i'd rather just like have him guess and then all right if that's your guess i'm going with it um but part of me also really likes it because it's very unique and it's 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 more of a mind tickle for me to to figure out yeah what is my identity you know um so just for some background for, for folks who who are listening who don't know me i i'm chinese filipino by blood apparently there's a sprinkling of vietnamese in there but i don't really claim it um i was born in saudi arabia but my citizenship is filipino but i've lived in the states for the last i don't know since 2005 so like 15 years so i don't know exactly what i am <laughs> it's a very confused identity i think when we were growing up it was very clear because you had to tick off a box right that i was filipino I went to a Filipino school for like the first three, I, I suppose like three years, like grade one to three. And then my kindergarten and like prep school was run by a Filipino. So like I knew I was Filipino. Whenever if I did something wrong, like let's say I was like, I don't know, a moment of laziness. My mom, my mom would, would forcefully remind me that I'm half Chinese and so I should be industrious. <laughs> That's what the Chinese are. You know what I mean? And it's funny because like both sides will do the same thing because I'll go home to the Philippines, I'll spend some time with the Chinese side. And if I'm lazy, they'll be like, don't be like the Filipino side of your family. And then the Filipinos, if they see me, like, cause I'll go out to the countryside and like, if I can't handle the heat or like, oh, a little rain, I gotta like go inside. Like if I, ha if I, they've seen me a little bit like city boy, they're like, oh, that's the Chinese side of you. You know what I mean? And so it's like, where, 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 where which side do you belong? I guess that's kind of my earliest experience of trying to figure out like, what the hell am I? Because you go home and people kind of see you as the Chinese when I go to my dad's side. And, and then the, the Chinese side is like, yeah, you're kind of Filipino, but you're also from Saudi. So you're not truly Filipino. We ate different. Like we didn't, our Senegang was made with fish because pork is illegal in Saudi Arabia. So when people are like, yo, that's, that ain't Filipino. I'm like, dude, can you blame me? Like, I don't have access to pork. What do you want me to do? You know, I guess that's like the, the early memories you could say. Yeah. yeah. And I, I didn't know that until I also read your section of New mm -hmm. Filipino Kitchen mm -hmm. and was like, was fascinated to see, because I don't think a lot of people get a glimpse of what the full Filipino diaspora experience like. is. Yeah. We have a very like either Western, I mean, we're based, we're both based in New York right now. Right. We have this kind of American view of it or Philippines going back to the motherland kind of view, but there's so much more where people. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 There's like the whole, the, the whole term. And it's not, I don't think it's just Filipinos, right? I think the term is like TCK, like third culture kid. Mm. Um, uh, so someone who they're not of the place they were born in, but they now live somewhere else. So they have to deal with like three different cultures. I just, uh, think that, you know, Philippines or Filipinos have been known to like people are one of our biggest exports, right? Like we, we were everywhere in every country. Like I always say, like, if there was ever a culture or a nation to be like the perfect ambassador, like it would be probably be us. <laughs> we're like the chameleons, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I do agree with you. I think sometimes like staying in the States, it, it get it becomes like a Phil Am versus Filipino mentality. And it's, and I'm like, well, I'm not Phil Am. So when someone says like, oh, you live in America, I'm like, yeah, I know, but I don't, 
I'm not Phil Am though. So just because I speak the the accent of a Phil Am person doesn't mean I am, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I I wonder how that that experience and your relationship with food has changed or has influenced each other. Because for me, now hearing that makes me think your journey with food makes more sense to me as somebody who's observed your journey of like establishing something that is a little different, that is that third culture Mm. kind of thing as a way of finding something that is... Yeah. um, I mean, not to get like too too, like navel gazing... (laughs) That's what this time is about. A lot of people. A lot of Which is weird. Like, I shouldn't be apologizing for... Because when I do the podcast, I want people to, like, go on their tangents. Um, But, like, I I really think at at some point food became... Yes, there's food because it nourishes you and you got to eat because you don't want to die. But I think part of it was also, like, my own way of trying to understand what the hell my identity was. Um, Because uh, I think early on I knew that our food wasn't quite Filipino. Meaning we didn't have, uh, for example, sampalok, so tamarind, to sour our sinigang. So my mom used lemon. Now, the more I research, the more I find out that there's nothing wrong with that, you know? But I think we have our own view of what it's supposed to look like. Like, oh, you're supposed to use the little packet mix, for example. Or adobo should be pork, for example. Not knowing that you could make adobo out of watercress, you know? Um, and so I think early I was experimenting with the term OFW food, like mm-hmm. overseas Filipino worker food, because of that fact. I was like, well, I was born in Saudi. Like, who are you to tell me I'm less Filipino? I, I, I'm, I'm working with what I got, you know. Um, and, and later on, that came, kind of became like my way of like making a statement of like, dude, this is what I ate. Like, I'm not I'm not trying to like put a gimmick on it. This is not fusion. Like. It's just I don't know. It's OFW food. I, be, I bet you a Filipino who is in uh, in the salmon um, industry out in uh, I think it's Norway or the Faroe Islands because I read this piece. Uh, shout out to um, my friend Jennifer who, who wrote a piece about it. But like they probably eat differently, you know. <laughs> and like it's not them trying to be a gimmick. So yeah. Yeah, to me, that also speaks to this idea of the Philippines and the Filipino culture not being a monolith. Yes, 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 yes. We are a country of 7,000 plus islands and more languages than just Tagalog and even like Bisaya, Cebuano. Right. And within those places, everyone has their own version of adobo, the way that they cook it. And like all these dishes, like for me, I'm thinking of my mom we grew up in a latino neighborhood and my mom's side has some spanish blood and the cookings are i would say lean towards that cuisine and i just remember that our our lumpia always had raisins in them yo mine too bro okay (laughs) and that became like a big debate when we would have cultural night or something and yeah yeah yeah. why are there raisins in in this lumpia yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and then just this question of yeah exactly what you're saying that we're working with what we have and that's not more or less it is just this our lived experience of the culture. Right, right, exactly. Um, I, I wonder where, where that started. Like, I wonder if that was like uh, brought over from from the Spanish and and by extension when I don't know the Moors were in Spain. I, I wonder. I wonder where where that came from. You know, I think these are the questions that I'm always like trying to figure out. I think I think 
you know, going back to the idea that like food is part of your identity, I think these are more useful and fun questions to ask rather than what is the right way to make adobo. I feel like these are yeah. like, I, you know, uh, I think a couple of years back, there was all this argument about authenticity. And, and for me, I often tell people, I'm like, this is such a useless, th- this is functionally useless to borrow a term from my tech startup days, right? I know that's not a very popular opinion. I think, yes, the conversation around authenticity should happen. But I'm like, yeah, but it shouldn't happen at the expense of other interesting questions, such as, man, I wonder why you put this type of vinegar instead of this one. Like, what a cool question to ask versus like, here's why I'm more right than you or I don't know, something like that. Yeah, I think it is nice that we're we're moving a little bit away from that conversation of, oh, if it's fusion, then it's not it's not that culture anymore mm-hmm. because yeah, we, we both experience, I guess in Lower East Side, East Village, there is this big surge five or so years ago of the Filipino food scene mm-hmm. becoming more prominent. Uh, and it did have a little bit more of a modern fusion perspective to it. And I think, yeah, I just remember one of those restaurants would be my go-to birthday brunch dinner place. Yeah. And um, I used to live in that neighborhood and my mom would come in or my dad would come in and we would have food. We would get lunch there and they're like, oh, this this, this doesn't really taste like Filipino food. This is for like bangmasa or like, or like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or like for, for a non-Filipino palate. So yeah, yeah I, it's I, 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 uh, I can guess where you're referring to. I didn't know you lived in East Village. I, I lived in Stytown for oh. two years. Yeah, two years. So, um, yeah, up and down that street, like on, on first, like for sure, I was I was there quite a bit. And I think, you know, back in the day, I didn't have a really good response to when people say, oh, Indian Pinoy, or like, that's not, you know, that's not Filipino. I should have said, like, you're absolutely right. It's not. It's not your Filipino, you know? Like, it's not your version of Filipino or what you think is Filipino. Because I can bet you, pick any dish that people are so, like, passionate about. Like, oh, that's Filipino. And I can guarantee you it had some influence from some other place that when they first made it, they were like, oh, shit, this is new. You know what I mean? Like, this ain't ours. And then over time, it did become ours. So, like, who's to say Filipino spaghetti Back in the day, I bet you someone was like, what the hell is that? (laughs) And I'm wondering where, for you, I I mean, I read, I've had a little head start from reading your part of Filipino Kitchen. Mm. Um, But I'm wondering for you, who is that person or what was that experience that maybe opened the door to thinking about food in in this way? Oh, man. There's a lot of people who have influenced my thoughts over the years, and I think they've influenced me in very different ways, right? So, uh, for example, one of the very first people who I got to do pop-ups with was Yana Gilbuena, who solo series, right? She traveled 50 states, did 50 dinners. She's, you know, she's she's all over now. People know her um, as a household name, but before when she was just traveling around the states, like you know, this was just a project. I think in 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 the way that. I could look at a pop-up dinner as not just like, all right, you're just eating, but you're making a statement. Probably Yana. But because I'm more of a thinker and not a doer, like I, I'm the kid who read too many books and didn't play enough on the soccer field. I, I really, I really, really enjoy 
the more cerebral people who like love language and talking and, and, you know, thinking about things. So I would say Amy Bessa. So she's kind of like my tita. She runs Purple Yam out in Brooklyn and Malate. And I swear, like anyone who like just wants to get a better sense of, of Filipino food, just follow her on Instagram. She'll write these novel length captions that are super informative. And I think she's really one of the ones who got me. I think her gift was asking the right questions. So she would ask, you know, well, why do you think that way? And I would say if it was the cerebral moment of what opened my mind, it would probably be Amy Bessa who, who did that. Yeah. And has that changed the way that you think about the food that you want to make before having met her or maybe even in this time of not having the pop-up dinners as much anymore? A lot of like food we want to make is, is dependent on circumstance, right? Like if I have a meeting in 15 minutes, the food I'm going to want to make is like, I'm not going to do a roast in 15 minutes, right? So I think when you, when you say what I want to make, you mean like what I want to make for pop-up dinners or what I want to make as a statement or just like in general, what I like eating? I would say, yeah, what you want to make as a, a statement in lieu of maybe not having a pop-up dinner for a while. Got it. Okay. So I, I don't think, I, I, I think that that initial moment of like expanding my thoughts on what our food could be happened during those early conversations with, with Amy. I, I think if, if anything, my desires for what I want to cook aren't necessarily like bound by geography. Before it was like, how do I do Filipino X Saudi Arabia? Right. Cause like, how do I, honor that part of my history? Or how can I do Filipino X uh, Nigerian? Because one of my um, pop-ups or or when we catered an event, you know, one of my co-chefs was Nigerian. So I'm like, all right, how do we blend those two cultures? I think it's become less ham-fisted. It's been more like, I don't want to use the word conceptual because it sounds so, so uppity. (laughs) Like intellectualist. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like, I I think it's become, I want to cook, Here's the story, right? Because I haven't figured this out. And this is what I want to try to figure out. I did a pop-up in Brooklyn once. And uh, one of my friends, Kalayan Mendoza, came through. And he's really big in in the activist community, right? He does a lot of safety training for people who are out there protesting. Like, he's doing that, like, today, like, this week. Um, He's, you know, protested in, in Tibet. Like, the guy knows his stuff when it comes to this kind of thing. Like I was just the guy who cooks, right? And I, I, I made this dinner and I was trying to illustrate kind of what would, because we did it on Independence Day, Philippine Independence Day. I was like, what would have happened if we weren't colonized by Spain? What if it was the other way around for one of the dishes? You know, like what would it look like if we colonized Spain? Or what would it look like if the Arabs were still in the Philippines trading or something like that? And I remember, like, I didn't really think too much about it. But afterwards, like, Kalayan was like, yo, man, like, this is what decolonizing your palate looks like. And he was like, holy crap, like, I didn't know that until I ate your food. And I'm like, what? I was just trying to cook, you know what I mean? So I think that's what I'm trying to figure out is I want to make food that gets you to rethink something. You know what I mean? whether it's your culture, whether it's, I don't know, something as like high-minded as like capitalism. I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's even possible, but I do think that there's such a power to food to be able to make you think a little more, that that's the kind of food I want to make. 
Yeah, I really like that concept of decolonizing your palate mm-hmm. because, I mean, not just because it's a buzzword at this time mm-hmm. that we want to kind of undo some of these big systems that have, that we have been born into. But yeah, I I would wonder how would you describe that? Maybe if somebody wants to take a first step into decolonizing their palate, what is that? I, I, you know, I, I, um, I don't know because that wasn't what I intentionally like set out to do at first. Right. Um, I was merely posing the question of like, Oh, what would have happened if we did it this other way around? You know, I didn't like, I think that's one other thing about the film experience is because, you know, I wasn't exposed to terms like cultural appropriation or uh, decolonization until I got here. You know, I I don't know if you heard about this, but maybe a a month ago there was a bar that opened up. I think it was in California called Barcada. And it was this whole eruption. People were up in arms. They were like, oh, this is cultural appropriation. I agree. I was like, "Mm, four white guys open a bar called Barcada. There's no Filipino chef. There's no Filipino (laughs) food. The money's not going in the community. Like, this sounds wrong, you know? But it was interesting to see the comments coming from people in the Philippines because they were like, guys, people are freaking dying. Like, is this really what you're angry about? We want to spread our culture. What's wrong with them using? And, and, and so like you almost could see almost two different realities happening. So like I don't quite know how does a person take that first step because I don't want to assume that that is everyone what everyone wants to do one and second if they even believe in the concept that you should be decolonized now i do i think so but it's almost like trying to tell someone who 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 can't see the color red describing to them what a red fire truck is it's like i don't know right what i will say is i think that something that's helpful for just everyone anyone when they're eating their food is to approach it with a little more curiosity because for the people who do want to decolonize, I think that they'll find something in there that will help them decolonize. And for the others, maybe it's just about exploring their history. I don't know. But like ask the next time you eat kare kare, why are there peanuts in there? Ever ever start to think like, why do we have peanuts in there? Like we don't put like peanut butter in adobo. Like why is it in there? Or why are there so many vinegars in the Philippines? We have so we, like one of my one of my boys like he was like he's one of my like friends who I cook do palos with. He's like, bro, everything Filipino because you got vinegar. I'm like, you know what? You're kind of right. I wonder why. You know, I I think that's that's what I would recommend as a person who's trying to take a first step in just understanding themselves through food, forgetting the decolonization part. Yeah, just be a little more curious. I think that's a big one. Yeah, if people can just. I think that you can take that to anything really is if you just brought a little sense of curiosity and non, maybe non-judgment mm-hmm. to you, it would, it would open your eyes to something that maybe, you know, it would change your whole perspective and, and right. not in a forceful, this is the right way and you've always been wrong kind of yeah. way, which yeah. is like the scary part of like once you start the path, then you become like super, yeah, you become super rigid in this new path. It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. allow some space for softness to like receive whatever is coming to you. Then you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll uh, totally not plan whoever's listening, uh, Paul didn't <laughs> pay me to say this, but let, let's like tying this to like 
the whole like meditation thing, right? Because we talked about it before we started recording. And I, I, I remember hearing the story of this person who, I don't think this is true, but they were trying to illustrate the point. Person goes and they, they find this enlightened being, this teacher, and they say, how long will it take me to, to be enlightened? And he's like, for you, one year. He's like, okay, okay, what if I try harder? What if I do it this way? He's like, you know what? Make that four years. And, and one of my friends, you know, she, I was telling her like, yo, man, you should look into therapy. Not because you're, you're, you know, something's wrong with you. I just think everyone should go. Just like going to the dentist. He's like, okay, how many sessions will it take to fix me? So if I use that as a metaphor, I think the same thing with food, where if we say, all right, what can I do so that my palate will be decolonized? I don't know if that's what's going to end up happening. But I can tell you, if you do approach with curiosity, I think you'll find a lot more, even though your initial intent wasn't decolonization, I think, is what I'm trying to say. Yes. yes. And I did not tell him <laughs> to say <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the other, since you mentioned meditation, the other thing that I'm thinking is an intersection, too, is the act of cooking itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is something about and we don't really have maybe we have the opportunity now because of everything that's going on in the world but mm-hmm. we don't often get that opportunity to make a meal for ourselves even in our parents generation for us growing up sometimes because they were doing the the hustle to you know keep food on our table but just mm-hmm. the act of putting everything aside and just focusing on the thing that you're preparing and knowing the steps that it takes and the order and just devoting yourself into making a meal, sustaining yourself mm-hmm. by yourself and being present during that is already like, that could, that could already be a practice for mm-hmm. you. Even that could be its own. Yeah, I'm using air quotes, but you can't see it. But that could be your own form of decolonization. That could be a, f- a first step of just actually removing yourself from all the noise for a little bit. Sure, sure. Actually, yeah. you know, I think now that you mentioned it, again, I, I, I'm not an expert in this topic, but like one of the things about colonization is, is the fact that like our people were put as cogs into this big machine to build riches for the empire, right? And I think that, you know, I have a friend who's like super anti-capitalist and, and I don't necessarily agree with him, but obviously some of his ideas will kind of cause me to think, me being the guy who works at a tech startup, right? And, and so like part of it that I think is continued colonization is the fact that we sometimes see food as like efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. How can I make a recipe from one hour to 30 minutes to 15 minutes you know, like all the shortcuts, like, oh, here, you know what? Forget how you cook your 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 mom's long-standing three-hour menudo recipe. Let me just sell you these little packets that mm-hmm. you can mix. And the profits are not going to you. It's probably going to some French executive somewhere else, right? And I think that is, you're right. You're absolutely right. I think it is a form of decolonization to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to cook it. I'm going to cook it with what's around me using the stories and the techniques that I was given as a way to strengthen my own relationship with food and my own relationship to my community and reclaim some of that instead of me just being like a cog in the machine, right? I, I, I know like, I don't, wanna, I, I don't wanna make it sound like it's just good versus evil, but I think there is some sort of reclaiming you can do. Um, and if you can't do that, 
because I understand that we are in a privileged position to be able to have access to ingredients and stuff. Even just the act of like, I'm not going to look at the screen. I'm just going to eat this food and just, just think about it. I think that in itself is like, who, who does that these days? You know, I, I don't think we do it enough. Yeah, yeah. To that mindful eating aspect of let me not watch Netflix. Let it's me... hard though. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying this uh, as a saint. Like, I, I honest, it, it is such a struggle to be like, I'm just gonna eat this meal, and that's all I'm gonna do. And I might manage to do it for ten minutes before my mind's already thinking about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to devise like rituals to like force me back. You know, I, have, I, I stole this like napkin from a first class flight. And so every time I unfold the napkin, I'm like, all right, we're going to eat. You know what I mean? So there's tricks around it, but like, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I do agree with you that it is a, it's a form of decolonization, I suppose. For me, you know, prior to this time, this conversation and me spending some of the quarantine with my family, I would, I also would not have thought that way too. Like for me, the experience of my mom sharing her binagoongan recipe mm. and us both making it together and her teaching me like how finely she chops and the proportions mm. and she doesn't have a recipe. She just goes off of her memory. Mm-hmm. And then we just like talk while we're cooking. And mm. the idea of being present and also like an inheritance or a passing on of this like cultural knowledge through mm-hmm. spending time together and cooking is a real gift. And, and, you know, it, it also takes some awareness to realize that that gift is being given to you when we are so, when we're so privileged to have the access to, you know, order takeout or, you know, eat a, a frozen ready meal and just put it in the microwave kind of thing. Right. Exactly. Because I think there's a danger to that in that I think there was a, a widespread understanding at the beginning of the lockdowns here in the States of people wanting to like start cooking and realizing they didn't know shit <laughs> because for the longest time, you know, they said like, you know, I mean, one of the things that really infuriated me, um, when I saw it in the subway where the seamless ads like, you know, that were so anti-cooking, just completely anti-cooking. Some, stuff like you move to New York not to cook or, or like stuff like this or like never cook again or whatever, order seamless. And, you know, working in tech, there are a lot of people who believe that like, you know, these are good things. We'll ship you your pre-made meals or maybe, you know, cooking just becomes date night activity instead of like, this is a human thing. There's a danger to that because then who controls the story, right? If, if earlier we were talking about identity, right? If all you grew up on is takeout or these really nice, well-designed boxes that are like vaguely Asian written by some executive somewhere, what does that tell you about the culture you're going to pass on? Right. So I think, do I order takeout? Often, at least twice a week. I, enjoy, I love the food that I get for takeout, but you can't lose it at the expense of all the other stuff, right? So, yeah. yeah. For Alicia, yeah, I, I didn't even think about the, I'm guilty, I ordered Seamless last night. <laughs> Got Korean fried I, chicken. <laughs> I order Seamless. I order Seamless. Yeah. I think, I think uh, I, I, here's another thing that like, sometimes we forget is like nuance. 
and I, I, I mean this in, in the sense of everything, right? There's not enough nuance in our political debates. There's not enough mm. nuance in our, in our culinary debates. There's not enough nuance anywhere. It's either this or that. I'm not saying don't take seamless. I'm saying don't only do seamless at the expense of all this, because this is what you stand to lose, right? Like there's, a, there's, there's value to be had at exploring other cultures that you would not have access to through seamless, you know? I think um, I didn't know that there were actually a lot of Black-owned restaurants around me had I not purposefully gone on Seamless. So I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. What it did infuriate me is trying to say, like, you know, pick our extreme. Just use us and you don't need anything else. And that's it. Mm. I think that's, that's kind of the piece that I'm, I'm arguing against. Another thing I'm thinking about is, because you mentioned it earlier, is access. Mm-hmm. And I... I'm thinking of the time of our parents and the food that we grew up in. Like, mm-hmm. for example, for me, there were a lot of instant things like Lucky mm-hmm. Me and mm-hmm. Mamacita and yeah, things yeah. that were just like very quick to make that, you know, they were, they were good. But and no one really questioned it yeah. or, yeah, we're going to Jollibee or things like that. And then you see all of this like trends with nutrition for Filipino, Filipinx populations with diabetes and hypertension and all of that related to our relationship with food right. or lack thereof. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm just wondering how you feel about that. I mean, I, I definitely feel the consciousness was raised for me because I did, uh, I just recently came out of a yoga teacher training program mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a big emphasis on nonviolence and then applying that to your diet. A lot mm. of people end up going pescatarian or vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just just hearing that and entertaining kind of like what we're saying, I'm just like having the curiosity to maybe explore that and mm-hmm. not sit, not necessarily attach yourself to saying, you know, I'm never going to eat meat again. Mm-hmm. Um or or, or the opposite or the opposite like it's not filipino if there's no pork i'm like what who said so it's weird because i'm like you where i grew up on like instant arescaldo instant mommy you know um from mamacita from from, uh, like the mixes from mamacita or or um i forgot what the yellow brand was i think it was nor I, i forget now but it was such a weird dichotomy because my mom was cared so much about health that like barely put salt in our food. But when we got home, she would serve us like instant noodles, right? And I'm like, this stuff is all salt, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I think that like there, there's something to be said here about like mentality again, because one of the things that I just couldn't really understand, and this is maybe going back to the colonization question, this is where it comes from. But like, I couldn't understand why when I go back to the Philippines, like people were so or at least people in my family, especially in our early years, were like ashamed or didn't want me to eat the stuff that they ate. Like fresh fruits, vegetables, you know, like the, the good shit from the farm, you know? They're like, oh, that's just, you know, that's... Uh, I was Like they'd apologize for it. And they'd be like, do you want to get a hamburger or a hot dog or whatever? Oh, wow. <laughs> you know? And I even read this piece where I forgot, I, I forgot who wrote the piece but they they went to a, a a family's house in the Philippines, and like the thing that they were most proud of was the fact that they had canned goods, like spam. You know, it was like a status symbol. 
So when it comes to nutrition, I think that like it's a little bit hard because we probably know it's not good for us. But why is it that we're like, we're proud of it. We're like, hell yeah, spam. Like I love spam. Um, I don't know if it's because back then nutrition was just like, you kind of just knew, you know, like you kind of knew that you should eat your vegetables. Like we had the Baha'i Kubo song, right? You named all the vegetables in Baha'i Kubo. And somewhere along the line, it ended up becoming like hyper-atomized where now nutrition is like, if I'm not doing a ketogenic diet with X milligrams of something and, you know, I, like nutrition becomes just like, take, take this soiled drink and you'd be fine. It'd be, it, it, it gets reduced to minerals and, and, and minerals and numbers instead of this wholesome, holistic meal, right? Um, I think nutrition, I'm still struggling with trying to get that understanding versus like how many macros, because I did macro counting to lose weight. Like oh, I, did, okay. I did the whole thing, you know, I counted all the macros and took all the supplements and like, I don't quite know, it, it got results, but I don't quite know if that's the nutrition that I want to be tying to the food that I am making or passing the stories and culture on. Yeah, and I think that's okay to not to not know, to be in the knowing, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's still a constant state of, of learning, you know. I almost feel like we had a better grasp of nutrition back then, but I could also just be romanticizing the past. I don't know. Like, my dad grew up poor. Like, some days they didn't have enough. They ate rice with lard and rock salt and that was it and they lived on a farm you know uh i think we could go on a whole tangent here about like the state of agriculture um but i do believe there was some some knowledge lost along the way the one of the positives i guess of living in this time is that we do have access to a lot of information Mm -hmm. so yeah i think it's also that question of where do you put your attention in, mm. in the, this time of information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, you're right. It's a blessing and a curse that we have more information, also more misinformation, and the same amount of attention capacity. So yeah, you're right. It's like, where do, where do, you, where do you look first? As we start to bring our combo to a close, has there been anything that we haven't talked about yet that maybe you want to bring to the table? I don't know. I think I will say that like what I, I mean, this is like me putting this out into the universe, right? Uh, of what I'm trying to figure out what food is. Cause I do believe though, I don't have anything to back this up that food will solve almost all our problems. Food will solve climate food will solve wars. And people are like, that's like, you know, woo woo thinking maybe, but that's the gamble I want to make. You know, I, I once said like, I think after the 2016 election, like, yo, if I could cook the meal that causes like Trump and Kim Jong-un to like make peace, fuck man, that's a meal. You know, I have this book of like some of the most historic meals ever served. Like when, when peace treaties were signed or when, you know, the uh, industries changed, like the thing that I'm, I'll say that we haven't really touched on is like that is like how to make that come alive of how does food solve all of it, right? 
I think that's what I'll say. I'll, I'll leave that as the open question for, 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 for future conversations is like, how can food solve everything? Because I do believe it. I just don't know why I believe it or how I believe it. I hope that too, yeah. That somehow the, the answer comes into to manifest somehow. Yeah. yeah. Hearing, I mean, hearing you say it, it does make sense. It's like, that's the first thing that brings people to the table of whatever whatever sides the the us versus them i mean everybody has to eat everybody yeah yeah right a basic need everybody does and i think that's that's like the you know when people ask um do i like to cook not as much as people think <laughs> you know um am i the food guy i actually don't really think so i think food is just the language that i happen to enjoy the most because all of this is an exercise of like how do i understand myself and others better and food just happens to be the language i've chosen because english has so many flaws in it uh any spoken language is is flawed when trying to like understand something but i'll, le I'll leave people with this thought of like there is no storage device or computer in the world as powerful as a bite of food. I could encode an entire history in the bite of food. So it's a matter for me of figuring out what do I want to encode so that I have a reaction like what Kalayan said, where he's like, dude, man, you've decolonized my palate. I got lucky. I got lucky with that one. How do I become more intentional with that so that I have an achieved result when I feed someone something? I don't know. But I do think that it is possible. Um, and I, I hope, like, whoever's listening to this, if you guys got ideas, like, let me know, man. Because, uh, you know, I think I, I, that's, the, that's the thing I want to leave at the end of all this. I think everyone has this depth. They just need to take out the white napkin and don't look at the screen when you're eating. And I guarantee you, like, I really don't think I'm any more profound than anyone else. You know, I just happen to um, got lucky eating the right things and thinking about the right questions from people who ask me those questions. So... Yeah. yeah 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 and i think for me that reminds me to the you know the concept of enlightenment of it being like this very heady existential far away mm. thing but mm. it really is already in you it's not like you're trying to the practice of it or you know all these mindfulness things is that it's not trying to get you to this other place it's so that you realize that you've always had these things this like inner knowledge inner potential in you right you just make, you're just getting your ego and everything out of the way so you're like yeah, oh, yeah there's that yeah. other thing over there that's kind of always been there yeah we are uh we are not the drop in the ocean we are the ocean in a drop as uh as they say yeah yeah hmm. cool uh did i miss out anything no you're good uh the way that we do like to end the show is we have these three rapid fire all right questions. let's so just say you know whatever comes to your mind all right so our first one is what is your favorite filipino word mm -hmm. what is it and why does it have a special meaning for you what is my favorite filipino word shit you had to start with this one I don't know if I have a, a a favorite one, but one that I have been thinking about for the past two days is actually a phrase, it's two words, bahalana. Or I guess in, in Arabic, it's like, inshallah, like, you know, like some people, some people think it's like translated as like, fuck it, like you don't care, but it's not that. I think it's more like, you know what? 
que será, será, what will be, will be. I, I, I really like that, especially in, in these times, because uh, I'm, I'm such a control freak and the pandemic is a daily reminder, like, dude, just a lot of stuff you can't control. There's actually someone who we've interviewed who people will have heard by this time, and her word was also <laughs> Bahalana. <laughs> I think so, everyone's kind of given up. It's this time, yeah, Bahalana. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's the vibe right now, bro. <laughs> And then our second one is how is Kapwa showing up in your life these days? And for those who don't know, uh, Kapwa, which the show is named after, is Tagalog for shared inner self. Shared inner self. Hmm. I, I was about to ask you how you define Kapwa because I think there's a couple of ways to define it. So I'm glad you, you started with that. I think how it's shown up is it's there's been a lot more space you could say to notice that it's there because I'm not busy running around everywhere. Like I'm stuck at home, you know? And so I think that like, we often say Kapwa is like, you you have to go out and connect with people. And I, I do agree, but what this time has given me is more space to connect with myself. So I've, I, I know like what it is I'm sharing because sometimes you're sharing shit that ain't even yours. You know, it's people who gave you their mindset from back then or some unresolved trauma. So I think that's how it's showing up today is there's more space to figure out what it is you do want to share of your inner self with folks. It's a more intentional kapwa, you could say. And our last one is, what is the biggest lesson that you're learning these days? I know you've shared a lot. It's been a lot of good (laughs) Biggest lesson? (laughs) Oh man, I don't want this to sound like I, an, an I told you so of like a retroactive I told you so to my younger self. But uh, for, for the last, for people who don't know, I'm not a citizen of the States. I've been waiting for my green card. I got it last summer, but that wait took a long time. And during that wait, I chose a lifestyle that some people didn't agree with. Like I was full on about this food thing. I you know, didn't go around partying all the time. Like, you know, I wasn't talking about Tinder like a lot of my friends were. They were like, you got to just live life. And now that this pandemic hit, I am so glad that I did it that way because I can say that even if the restaurants don't come back, and I really hope they do, I still managed to do some pop-ups. Like, I still managed to write a food blog. This, You know what I mean? Versus people who are like, just wait, just wait. You'll have your chance. Just, you know, focus on your career. I'm glad I didn't. So I think the lesson to me is like now that this pandemic hit, we don't know what's going to happen come election time. We don't know if this is even the first pandemic we're going to have. So if you're going to do something, I'm not saying go boss to the wall about it, but just know that you might not always have the chance. So I I, I think that's the big lesson for me. Yeah, listen to that intentional inner kapwa <laughs> and then shoot that arrow because you only got a couple of shots in you these days. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you get a couple of shots. Man, like every time you go out, you you just... You never know, you know, you never know. And, and, and it's, um, I don't want to sound morbid about it, but like people are still dying every day at a horrendous rate. Uh, I, I do not think I'm invincible or above it all. It could happen to me, could happen to you, could happen to our parents. We, we might as well, you know, live with that fact and um, try to do the best we can now. Instead of saying like, bahala na the wrong way, fuck it, I'm going to party because what's all this worth? No, there is worth. We might as well do it now. Thank you so much. 
Yeah, we'll talk to you soon in the after yeah. show. And if there's any way maybe people are hearing this that they want to connect with you further, yeah. how can they do that? Email is probably the best. Uh, the Errant Diner. So T-H-E-E-R-R-A-N-T Diner, D-I-N-E-R, not dinner, at gmail.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram. I'm a lot, I'm a lot less active nowadays, um, but I do, I've met so many friends through Instagram. It's also at Errant underscore Diner. When events start again, and when it is safe to do so, uh, I'll probably be a lot more active through Hidden Apron. So that's when we do our pop-ups and stuff. But for now, I think email the Aaron Diner or Gmail, or sorry, uh, Instagram, Aaron underscore Diner. That's probably the best way. Yeah. Thanks again. Take care. All right, man. See you, bro. And that was today's episode. Thank you so much to Paolo for joining the conversation. All info mentioned for his website and Instagram will be included in the show notes. If you like what you heard and feel called to connect further, subscribe, leave a five-star review for the podcast, and follow us on Instagram at kapwa.yoga. We host an IG Live after show the Monday after the episode is released, and it's a great opportunity for you to get involved in the conversation with us. This podcast is a part of Kapwa Yoga a movement and mindfulness practice that integrates my background in dance, yoga, and organizational psychology. You can check out our website, www.kapwa.yoga, to find out more about our services. A special thank you to Uga for the theme song and episode production. You can find him on Instagram at uga.xyz. Thank you for listening. Maraming salamat and catch you in the next conversation.